Welcome back to Over Here, the podcast from Outside of Music. My name is Nick Finzer, and I am going to be starting part one of what will be a multi-part series talking about something that I know a lot of people are thinking about, and that's kind of the state of jazz education and kind of the state of what it means to begin a degree as a jazz student nowadays. I wanted to try and put together a number of conversations that kind of ran the gamut of experiences between all of the, my colleagues here in New York uh, with their backgrounds, where they went to school. If you didn't know, kind of my background as a trombonist, I ended up going to college at the Eastman School of Music in Rochester, New York, and uh, that's where I grew up, and that's where I fell in love with playing jazz, and uh, it was all at the Eastman School, and I wanted to always go to New York, but I didn't get into my top choice school, and I wondered you know, exactly how everyone else dealt with that kind of, not necessarily rejection, but that kind of disappointment, you know, that kind of adversity and trying to fight your way and claw your way to the, your goals and your dreams. And uh, for me, that was getting to New York and studying at Juilliard, uh, where I eventually did end up getting into for my master's degree. So uh, I wanted to explore a lot of things that I've been thinking about in terms of music school and how much does it cost and is it really a worthwhile investment these days and you know what else do you get beyond the classes beyond the interaction with teachers I know a lot of people have conversations with their family about you know whether they should get that degree or if they should double major if they should go and have a backup plan if they should go and not just study music and I wanted to share a number of experiences that people had that uh, were varied and people who were doing various things uh, around New York, working in various capacities. With each person in this series, I've asked them pretty much the same series of questions. One, to kind of talk about who they are, where they come from, what their educational background is. We might talk a little bit about how they came to play jazz in the first place and kind of where they wanted to study, where they auditioned, and kind of what their main considerations were when they were selecting a school. Was it the teacher? Was it the location? Was it the cost? And we kind of talked about why and how all those things came to be and a little bit of their story along with those considerations. And I really think it's helpful as a prospective student as, or someone who's just thinking about teaching at a college uh, to kind of think about these experiences. And these are real life experiences. This is what people are living now. And kind of just be honest and, uh, and have a clear conversation. And I think that that's what I'm striving to do. And I think what you'll take away from this. Some of the people that I interview in this series, you might know from their music. Some of them you will know soon. They're up and coming great artists that you're going to find out about before too long. And some of them aren't in New York and some of them are in other places and you might not have heard of them yet, but they have very valuable experiences that I think that they can add to this conversation uh, as people that wanted to go to school for jazz, study and be performers and maybe have had some other things go on in their life that have led them down different pathways. So I think it's important to be open-minded and kind of just soak in a little bit of the story of all of these people and kind of 
assess what it means for you if you're about to start this fall in a degree program, if you're thinking of applying for a degree program. Uh, like I said, this is part one of what will be at least a four or five part series featuring two or three musicians in each one, depending on how verbose they might be. And uh, so today we're going to feature two friends of mine who are just fantastic musicians. And uh, I really enjoyed getting to talk to them about their experiences. And they have very different experiences. Uh, the first person is Alexa Tarantino, who is a saxophonist that I met up in Rochester at the Eastman School of Music. Uh, she was a number of years behind me there at Eastman. And so our experiences are definitely a bit different from that school, but we do have that shared experience. And, you know, she went there after me and kind of moved to New York much more recently than I did. And so she has some things to share about that. And the second conversation is with a great trombonist uh, named James Hall. And he has been also doing some touring with uh, the YouTube group called Postmodern Jukebox. We've subbed back and forth on a lot of different gigs together. And uh, James is just a great guy and a very well-spoken guy, and I knew he would have some great things to add to this conversation. And he is a person who wasn't sure that he wanted to only be a musician, but he still made it here to New York, and he's still doing his thing. So I think it's worth considering both of their stories while you're considering yours. So here we go with Alexa Tarantino and James Hall. I'll check in with you guys in just a little bit. So what is project that you're doing uh well so you know i have a record label the record label but uh i don't really want it to be a record label i want it to be something that's more just like kind of like a media company kind of doing all different kinds of stuff so i'm putting together the starts of a podcast and i'm talking to a bunch of people about their experiences with jazz education and just just to kind of um put some stuff out there that might be useful to you know young musicians uh, That's awesome. So anyway, it's just kind of an experiment. I'm just talking to a bunch of people and asking them the same questions. Uh, you know, people that went to different places and have different experiences to kind of compare and contrast, if you will. And one more thing, please excuse the very loud children in the background giving that nice hum in the background. Uh, I happen to live right near a school playground and when we had scheduled our time to chat uh, it was recess and there was nothing I could really do about it and that was with the window closed so you can imagine how loud they really were but okay back to the story and back to Alexa. Um, my name is Alexa Tarantino. I'm a jazz saxophonist and woodwind doubler I'm currently living in Brooklyn uh, but I grew up in West Hartford, Connecticut, and I lived in Rochester for about five years because I was attending the Eastman School of Music. And I think the school where you went to high school it had kind of a has kind of a legendary uh, jazz program, right? I went to Hall High School in West Hartford, Connecticut, and I sort of just ended up there. It was just a coincidence that my family uh, settled there and. I ended up kind of discovering that it had this great history to it, this jazz history to it. Um, it ended up being one of the most recognized public jazz programs in the country. And 
Um, some musicians that have come from there include Joel Fromm and Brad Meldow, um, Erica von Kleist, and I don't know if you're interviewing him, but I know you're friends with him, Jimmy McBride, um, the drummer. We grew up kind of right back to back from each other and went through at the same time. So it was fun. It was a great place to be. Nice. And so you went from there and you ended up at the Eastman School of Music in Rochester. So I'm curious where all you applied to before. Okay. Yeah, for, for um, colleges. Well, I, I, I honestly wasn't sure if I was good enough to do jazz performance at that time. I don't know why, um, but I, I was sort of toying with the idea of music education just because I had had some music educators that were very inspiring to me, and I knew that teaching was something I was interested in. You know, I was doing private teaching at the time. But um, I think at one point I sort of shifted, and when I really started playing seriously and getting into studying jazz and, you know, trying to get my vocabulary together and my improvisation together, I decided to go at the performance route. So for that, I ended up applying to uh, Juilliard, Manhattan School of Music, NYU, Eastman, uh, McGill University in Montreal, and uh, I think University of Miami in Florida, Berkeley, and New England Conservatory. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how I remember them, but it was yeah, it was eight schools. Wow. And I think I got in. I think I got into everywhere but Juilliard and maybe Manhattan. Yeah. So what were what were some of the factors that led you to choose Eastman then? Out of all those, because that's a lot. Yeah. Well, the. The conservatory, so I was sort of toying with, okay, do I want to go to a conservatory or do I want to go to a more of a liberal arts school program um, that just just has a, a good, a great music school? Um, and so that sort of separated out. Once I made the decision that I really wanted to get as close to a conservatory as possible, that uh, sort of cut out McGill and I think I think University of Miami too. I um, as much as I would have loved to study in Montreal, actually, um, I just I just sort of decided that I wanted to get as close as I could to a conservatory. And Eastman really seemed to be that, even though it's associated with the University of Rochester. Um, so it, it did have that that other option to study other things. Um, the music school itself seemed to, to be most serious and. Uh, the the place that would give me the the best foundation uh, to study going forward too. So, what was the reasoning behind wanting to focus on conservatories? Um, I think that I decided, you know, if I'm going to do this, let me really do this and dig in 110 uh, percent. And I wanted to put myself where I would be, kind of like at the lowest level, so that it would it would. Uh, give me like the most challenging experience to, to learn from people who are either older than me or, you know, stronger improvisers or whatever, whatever it may be. Um, so I wanted to be at the bottom of the pack starting out wherever I went. Um, and so, so, you know, a couple of the schools were great, but they were more like almost safety schools. Um, and, so the, I, that kind of canceled those out. And Eastman seemed to be the place where, you know, the fin financial aid was right. And the I, I was comfortable with the general aspect of the school, like the location and how I would get home. All those things checked out 
but musically the school just seemed to have um, the most intense curriculum that would provide me that that opportunity to grow um, as intensely as possible. So then it, it was kind of a combination of all those factors that led you to that. It wasn't like one thing like money or a teacher or anything. It was kind of no, the environment plus all the other stuff. Right. Yeah. It was more of a, it was definitely a long uh, kind of checklist pro con list that I went through. Um, financial aid was a factor. Um, and I wouldn't say it was the most important factor, but it was definitely there. And I know that that's a big thing for, for, especially as tuition gets more expensive. Um, so that was definitely a factor. Conservatory versus non-conservatory was a factor. Uh, just general, like, I think overall reputation and just to kind of reviews testimonials that I heard from other people definitely weighed highly in my decision process. And then, um, yeah, the overall, like what would my lifestyle really be like? Where am I? What are the dorms like? That type of a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that didn't weigh so much into the decision, but it was important that I, you know, felt comfortable. Um, and a couple of visits at other schools, I, I remember it sort of feeling like dark and dim and, and really kind of like, uh, isolating. And that wasn't the experience that I wanted. And what I, what I learned and what I experienced through Eastman was the community, the amazing community that that particular school had. Um, it wasn't cutthroat in any way. Everybody was supportive and warm and welcoming. And I could feel that when I walked in for the first time. So that made my decision really easy. Gotcha. So now kind of flipping things around. Um, I know you do a lot of teaching. So, now that you're on the other side, what, well, first of all, I imagine probably maybe students sometimes ask you your opinion about, you know, if they should go into music. So if, when, if, and when they do, I mean, what types of programs do you recommend and kind of how do you talk to them about that process? Um, I, I usually try to recommend, uh, the place, whatever place will give them the most well-rounded experience. Because, um, since graduating from Eastman, I found that that's really what I, what I rely on, uh, most is kind of, I'm pulling from all these different elements that, that, that the Eastman education was able to give me. So I had performance experience. I had education experience. I had music business and leadership and entrepreneurial skills. Um, that I gained there. And so I think what I, I, what I didn't even realize in graduating was how much I was going to need all, all of this, uh, variety of skills. And so that's what I think is most important when people say, I want to go and I just want to play and sit in a practice room and do this. That's great. I think that's awesome. And I, and I appreciate that. But, um, in this day and age, people really need to be as well-rounded as possible, as flexible as possible. And you want to be able to market yourself um, to be able to take any gig that comes your way when you leave school. So I generally try to assess, you know, where the student is at, where I think they, they, what areas they could grow in and, um, what school will provide that for them. So then do you think that, do you think that, um, you know, like a quote unquote jazz performance degree is like worth it for a lot of those students or? Do you make other recommendations? Um, I do think that a jazz performance degree is is a good idea. I think if you're trying, I think it's I think it's worth it. Um, I think that it's not the only thing that you want to do, though. I 
um, when I was, I did two degrees at Eastman. I did a performance degree and an education degree. And I'm so glad that I added that second degree, not as a backup and not as like plan B, like everybody always asks, but just because it's made me more well-rounded and it's informed my teaching and my performing in a different way than I think if I had gone through those four years just doing performance, I think I would have missed out on a lot of those experiences. Um, so I encourage students to get involved in as many aspects as they can. So I'm, I'm always kind of looking online at other schools, um, at their, music business or entrepreneurial offerings, because I think it's important that students know, um, to take those classes, like how to get your first gig, how to start your own website, how to get your business cards going. Um, however that, what, sorry, somebody just walked in. Okay. Just cut that part out. Um, Um, yeah. So I do think that, uh, a jazz performance degree is a, is a good idea. It's just, uh, getting the most out of getting the the most bang for your buck. If you're there for four years, I say take advantage of everything. So I try to look and see what what the school has to offer. Gotcha. Um, so I know you're now in the midst of about about to being about to be a student again. Um, what led you to? Well, first of all, I know you're going to be starting at Juilliard in the fall for your masters, right? So what kind of led you to take some time in between and then ultimately led you to wanting to go back to school there? Well, after Eastman, I, I decided I really wanted to kind of test this out and see, you know, can I really do this on my own um, financially and just musically? Like what kind of gigs will I be getting? How am I going to be structuring my life outside of, you know, not having classes anymore and practicing, prepping for gigs, trying to, um, start my own project. So I really kind of wanted to do a a little bit of a test run right when I graduated at Eastman. So I stayed in Rochester for a little while and I, and I did that and I was happy to do that. I took on teaching and started some own projects and did did some traveling and touring. Um, and so I was, okay, I I thought I couldn't do this. This is great. This is awesome. And so I, I wanted to take the next step and move to New York and try it out here and I've been here for about a year and a half, um, and I've, I'm loving it. It's, it's, um, I'm grateful it's going well so far. Uh, but I always knew in the back of my mind that I would want to get a master's degree uh, because I'm very interested in teaching at the college level at some point in my life, uh, whether it's sooner or later or whatever. Um, and I know that today a lot of universities and other institutions are looking for higher ed degrees like doctorates or PhDs. Um, and so I knew that at the very least I would want to have a master's just to try to open those doors a little bit more. Um, I'm not sure yet if I'll want to go further to the DMA, we'll see, but I just, basically I haven't wanted to leave anything, uh, any doors closed. So my kind of my philosophy going through has, has, through the past several years has just been like, okay, why not? If it will, if it will help, if it can only help, why not? Um, and I also knew that I wanted the opportunity to study more intensely in just a performance degree setting, uh, because everything that I did at Eastman, I I loved it. It was great, but I was definitely spread thin. Um, and definitely was, uh, definitely wish that I could have, uh, dug into some elements more, um, like, composition and arranging, uh, jazz history, um, 
things, jet, uh, playing in different jazz styles, things like that. I, I feel like if I was just doing one degree, I could have really shed and spend, spent tons of hours on those things. But because I was in the midst of all these other classes, it was hard to do that. So I kind of looked at what I really felt I, what areas of my musicianship I wanted to grow in and improve upon. And, um, those elements really seemed to align with some of the values of the Juilliard jazz department. And I knew that because I'm here in the city, it would, it would be, you know, hopefully a somewhat easy transition to, to go back to a school in the city that I'm living in now. And, um, I, I currently work at jazz at Lincoln center too. So I've been able to meet some people through there and, um, it just seemed like the next logical step, uh, to, to get more serious in my career and, and, uh, hopefully move towards that goal of college teaching at some point. Gotcha. Very cool. Um, so if you can think back, it might, you might, uh, be able to or not, I don't know, but what, what are you doing now that you never thought you would be doing when you started as a jazz student, however long ago? <laughs> wow. Um, okay, well, the, the first thing that comes to mind is, um, the most recent thing that I, that I did. I just recently was subbing for two weeks, um, in the Jazz and Lincoln Center Orchestra with Wynton Marsalis. And I honestly still can't believe that it happened. Um, I grew up going through Hall High School. We were a big part of the a big part of our curriculum was the essentially Ellington competition at Jazz Lincoln Center. And that was something that we always looked forward to preparing for and to hopefully attending. And I did attend it uh, one year in 2008, my sophomore year of high school. And I think at that point, um, it was sort of the cycle of my jazz education has always been like I start out as, you know, the youngest saxophone player in a group of like, say we're talking saxophone sections. Like I would start out as the youngest a person in a group of five and I would be the only girl. So it would be like me and four older guys in the saxophone section and then people would graduate, you know, and, and then I'd have to, I'd take on more responsibility, whatever. So that was at like the younger um, phase of my high school situation. I think I, I was the youngest then in 2008 and my, I was just walking around with my jaw on the floor and my eyes wide open. Like I couldn't, I just could not believe it. And so that was all, that was a big inspirational experience for me. And, um, to have been on the other side of it and to be on the stage performing for audiences um, with Winton and with all of those amazing musicians was really, uh, really incredible. Like, I don't really know what other words I could use to describe it, but um, yeah, it was a little bit of a shock. So, so that's the, that's one thing. Um, and I think the other would be I would never have expected to have started my own jazz camp, um, and I would never not have ever anticipated how much work it was actually. But uh, I do run a jazz camp in Rockport, Massachusetts. I'm looking forward to having you there with us this summer. Um, yeah, I guess I just I would never have thought that I would have been able to to do all of this and make it a a complete career and to have it be as fulfilling and satisfying as it is. I, if, if you had told me that that was going to happen for me, I would never have believed you. Very cool. So, um, so I know you just mentioned that the jazz camp that you're running. Um, so what are some of the core beliefs that you 
kind of stick with when you're um, teaching at the jazz camp and developing the curriculum for those students? The, the basis of our curriculum is teaching by ear. Um, because I came through the Eastman Music Education Program, that, that's sort of where that stems from. That was a big value there, is, was teaching by ear uh, before putting music in front of students. So um, I think what's unique about the program is that we really accept all ages and all instruments. So we'll have, you know, beginner violinists up to people that are thinking about going to college that are studying jazz voice or something. So we're very open to everybody. Um, and I think the teaching by ear can helps to put everybody on the same level in a way. So, uh, what I try to do is group everybody according to age and ability, of course, but because it takes away that barrier of, you know, being stressed out about whatever ensemble piece that you have to work on or, or whatever. Um, it, it connects us all together a, a bit more than I, than I think other programs, um, have for me in the past, at least when I was attending. And I know, I don't think I, I, you know, had that experience of solely learning by ear. Um, and it really kind of shows you kind of is humbling and brings everybody, uh, back to the same level. So whether you're advanced or you're a beginner, there's something to learn and something to grow from, uh, so we do that. And I think we also do it for our, our large ensembles too. We have a few big bands because of the number of kids that we have. And I'm really grateful to be able to bring in amazing faculty members that prepare these awesome charts for, and, and arrangements for students. Um, and they, they learn them all by ear and it kind of blows you away at the end of the session when you see a, a large ensemble on stage doing an, an awesome arrangement. It's not lacking any elements at all. Um, just because it was learned by ear, it's definitely challenging, definitely engaging. And, um, it's pretty cool to see how they've internalized all the material that way. So, so teaching and, uh, learning by ear is the foundation of, of what we do. Um, other than that, I just, I, I keep saying the word a well-rounded, but that's what I try to present to the students is, is a well-rounded, um, curriculum because not all of them, I know maybe not all of them are going to go into being professional musicians, but I want them all to have a, a solid understanding of theory and technique and jazz history and uh, small group performance, large ensemble performance. So they, they kind of get a taste of everything and um, yeah, it's a great time. Very cool. Uh, yeah. I mean, I glad to hear that that's kind of what's happening there. You know, you know that that's something that I focus on as well. Yeah. Um, great. Well, I don't want to take up too much more. I had to have you. <laughs> I had to have you. <laughs> I am glad, glad to be doing it. Um, yeah. So just in conclusion, before I let you uh, go, first of all, where can people find more information about you and the camp both? Yeah. Um, my website is www.alexatarantino.com. The camp is called Rockport Jazz Camp, and um, we're on social media on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You can just search Rockport Jazz Camp. Um, you can also search my name, Alexa Tarantino, and I, it'll it'll get you around there. Um, the the Rockport Jazz Camp. We both have YouTube pages, myself and the and Rockport Music. Um, but if you go to www.rockportmusic.org backslash jazz camp then uh you can find out more information and uh how to apply and all that good stuff so yeah oh, nice and uh are there 
after kind of talking through a bunch of these types of things, is there anything about, you know, your jazz education or thoughts about that that you didn't get to share that you wanted to? Um, I think I covered everything. I think I just, I always try to encourage my students to be open uh, and listen more than they speak or play. <laughs> so just take everything in, um, whatever advice or criticism someone gives to you, uh, don't reject it. Don't throw it out the window, even if it feels like it doesn't apply. Um, take everything in and write it down because I found that oftentimes one year, two years later, something happens and I think, huh, oh, that's what that person meant like two years ago. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's just something to think about. Great. Well, I won't uh, take any more of your time. Thank you for uh, chatting today. Thanks for having me. So to contrast Alexa's experience going from Hartford, Connecticut to Eastman School of Music to study conservatory exclusively and then to eventually move to New York, be kind of welcomed into the scene at a very quick pace and then eventually to end up at Juilliard, now about to study a master's degree. That's Alexa's path. And to contrast that, I think James is a great example of someone who can take a completely different path uh, but still end up in New York and still be making the music that they want to make and uh, have a really interesting story. I think you'll really enjoy to see how different these paths are, uh, not coming from a high school program that had a very legendary alumni and uh, just his really interesting journey. So here's James. My name is James Hall, and I'm originally from Omaha, Nebraska, and um, I grew up in Omaha going to uh, Westside uh, District 66 public schools, um, which were great public schools. I think we um, there was some overriding of tax levies that happened to fund a lot of our the programs that that we did there. So um, I'm, you know, fortunate to have been a beneficiary of that. Um, so that was uh you know, K through 12 in Omaha. And then when I graduated high school, I went to the Lawrence Conservatory of Music in Appleton, Wisconsin. Um, and because I was pursuing, a, I wanted to do a double degree program, getting a Bachelor of Music degree in trombone performance and a Bachelor of Arts degree, because um, I kind of wanted the rigor on both the liberal arts and the music side. And at the time, I only really knew of Oberlin and Lawrence who did that. Um, I can't remember whether the NEC um, double degree thing existed at that time. But anyway, I ended up at Lawrence and, uh, it was kind of, a um, a rich time there. Uh, Fred Sturm, who had been the director of the Eastman, uh, jazz program for many years had just returned to Appleton to lead that program and, um, brought a lot of great educational practice and a lot of great students with him. So, um, some of the guys that I still am in touch with and have played with here in New York are, um, Lawrence grads. Um, after five years at Lawrence, I moved to um, Vienna, Austria, uh, where I had studied abroad for a semester and um, had met some great trombonists I want to study with, especially uh, Ed Neumeister, who um, had played with the Ellington Band. Um, he played in symphonies and kind of all over New York. And his approach was just something I was fascinated in. So I spent two, a little more than two years in Vienna and commuting down to Graz for lessons with Ed before moving back to the States, um, where I did a master's degree at Queens College in uh, New York City. And that was kind of my entree into the 
the jazz world here. So at Queens, I studied with Mike Deese and uh, Luis Bonilla and uh, Mike Mossman for arranging um, and that whole crew. So mm-hmm. and now I'm living in New York. Uh, it's been, I think, going on seven years um, and performing in um, sort of the normal freelance uh, cornucopia, but <laughs> especially with um, the Williamsburg Salsa Orchestra, um, which kind of is a mashup of indie rock and salsa music. And um, been doing some playing as of you, I know with uh, postmodern jukebox. Mm-hmm. And then I've got a couple of my own projects that have, uh, kind of blossomed here. One of which was, a kind of a third stream chamber music, uh, thing that I did where I compose original, um, settings of poetry by area poets. And then my upcoming project, which is a little bit more towards the mainstream jazz realm, which is going to be a trombone, flute, piano, bass, drums, um, jazz album, which called Lettuce. Great. And that's where we are today. Awesome. So I think um, kind of you, you kind of answered my first follow-up question, which was, but I guess maybe you could apply it to kind of all the situations that you were talking about. I, I think a lot of students sometimes are drawn to one place or another, sometimes because of a particular teacher or, or the student body or, or money, like just the sponsor, sponsorship, scholarship opportunities. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so for you, kind of where did you land on that spectrum of choice versus those factors? Yeah, great question. Um, you know, Lawrence was a very particular choice and a lot of those factors played in. The first was my parents really wanted me to stay in the Midwest being from Omaha. So they, I think they liked the idea of being able to like drive up in within one day within, you know, like seven to 12 hours. Um, so that kind of limited me a little bit from going to the West or East coast. Mm-hmm. And then beyond that, I wanted to, you know, obviously the best school I could get into or the best teacher and, um, and that double degree thing was a factor too. So, you know, I visited Lawrence, I visited Oberlin, I visited, um, uh, Trinity in San Antonio, uh, Washington in St. Louis, um, and DePaul, DePaul in Greencastle, Indiana, um, and had a lot of great, you know, lessons with those professors and, um, it came down to um, the double degree thing, and also Lawrence gave me a scholarship, so that was kind of the deciding factor. I also had a really great visit when I went to Lawrence. It was kind of like it, it kind of like the the clouds parted when I went there. It was the middle of winter. It was February. There was like snow up to my knees, but everybody there was just like super welcoming, and um, it really took the intimidation factor out of it for me. So that that was really nice. That's great. Yeah. So, so it was all of those kind of all those factors rolled into one, but, uh, what kind of, what kind of led you down the path of wanting to do the double degree thing? Yeah, I think, um, I was never a person who knew from an early age, I wanted to be a professional musician. Mm -hmm. I, um, I think it was always, what's the next step? What does next year look like? Um, that sort of a thing. And uh, there was actually a point where I almost quit band in high school because I was kind of sick of marching band I you know I thought it was kind of I thought it was kind of lame <laughs> sure. yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know I, I liked playing in the jazz band but not enough to justify the marching band and I can't remember whether it was my parents that talked me out of it or something else but I sort of decided I would give it another year and then somehow things got better I think I might have changed who I was taking private lessons with or um, I might have just met some good friends in, in the band there but when I graduated high school, I sort of said, well, I, w- I want to s- 
take this as far as I can go um, and at least see what university music looks like. So I decided I wanted to do the double double degree because I wasn't yet sold on definitely being a professional musician, but I wanted the rigor that all of the future professional musicians were getting. So by doing the double degree, I could sort of, you know, have my cake and eat it too, I guess. Yeah. And so was there a point while you were in school then that you decided you did want to become a professional professional musician or was it later yeah, still? Again, it was kind of a, I got to my senior year, I did my senior recital and um, was kind of looking at my next options. And it was kind of a similar decision. It was like, you know, I've, I got to the point where I was like, you know, playing lead in my conservatory and I, I was feeling pretty good about my playing, but I'd also, you know, done some study abroad and seen bigger cities and the level of playing there. So I knew that I had a long way to go. Um, I think I'm pretty sure my decision was I'm going to take, you know, two years or three years and see what I can do musically. So, um, you know, that's when I decided I was going to move abroad and, um, I got a, a day gig that also gave me a, a sort of a, a work visa. And, um, I knew that I wanted to study with that new Meister. So I was like, well, I'll take this as far as I can go again. And it turned into, you know, I started a quintet in Vienna and, um, that gave me a chance to write my own stuff and play it out a little bit. And, um, I think it was good for me because it was a really fertile place to be playing out with original music. Um, I tell people that when I was in Vienna, I could play a, you know, a jazz quintet gig under my own name, you know, somebody who has no, who certainly then had no real name recognition. Um, and I could expect, you know, between a hundred and 150 people to show up and pay admission. Um, and, you know, I'd be playing original music that nobody had ever heard before and they'd be, you know, it'd be packed. And then I, you know, the same thing in New York, as I'm, as I know, you know, unless you're, you're a name that has a draw, you're, you're looking at more like a 15 to 20 person audience. So, um, just, you know, financially in terms of the support, the morale, you know, to, to play your own music and have people be excited about it. That was really motivating for me. Wow. That's, that's cool. Yeah. I didn't, uh, I guess I kind of didn't remember too much of that. You did that, that you were over there for a while. Yeah, it was like two and a half years. It was a, it was a good time. It, I think the the reasons that I decided to come back to the States were um, largely, um, you know, Vienna is a city of about two million people, I think 1.75 maybe. And certainly it's the, it's the, um, it's hard to get better than that for classical music of certain kinds. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also, um, it's also kind of a small city in terms of the improvised creative music scene. Um, you know, I, I tell people it was, it's pretty hard to find um, a great bass player and drummer, a good rhythm section in that part of the world. Um, you know, there's, there's certainly, they exist, but the guys that are good are really busy and mm-hmm. it's hard to convince them to come out if the gig doesn't pay a lot of money or if, you know, or whatever. So um, I sort of decided if I, if I was going to stay indefinitely in Europe that um, I would sort of um, plateau in a certain way. I think um, I sort of could see the gigs I was playing and, you know, I, um, and my colleagues and things. And I thought, you know, I think I want, I want to be a smaller fish in a bigger pond. Um, and, and so I said, well, I might as well move to the biggest pond there is, which is New York. Cause I didn't want to have to be moving again every two or three years. Totally. So then if we're talking about New York, so why Queens college, what kind of got you there? Yeah. Again, it's kind of the triangulation of all these factors. It mm-hmm. was, um, 
it was actually one of the few schools I got into. So, you know, a very humbling experience of getting turned down to several other schools. And um, among the ones I was accepted to for a master's in jazz studies, um, it was the cheapest. <laughs> totally. <laughs> so yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a city of New York CUNY school. Um, and I think tuition for New York State residents at the time was less than $3,000 a semester. Um, and you could get by, I think you could get the degree in three semesters. I might've done four, but you know, when you compare that price tag to, you know, a, a private institution or a traditional university, it's like a huge difference. Oh, so yeah. I was able to, you know, not go into debt and, um, uh, you know, that, that was, that was an advantage financially for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, great. So, with all that, you know, in mind, kind of reflecting on all of that, kind of how does that translate, how does your experience translate into the types of advice you get when you go and meet some younger students that are thinking, hey, maybe I want to study music, maybe I don't, I don't know what to do. James, tell me what I should do. <laughs> um, well, my story is kind of one of hedging all the time, right? I mean, like, I decided I would do a double degree program rather than going all in for just a performance degree. And then even when I came out of university, I wasn't all in to be a performer yet. And, um, so, you know, I guess if, if I was going to preach what I had practiced, I would probably say something like keep your options open. <laughs> sure. But, um, but I do have a lot of respect for folks who, you know, have a, have a more single minded focus and really want to perform. Um, I certainly can't fault them for that. I, um, I just, uh, I think I have in some ways a t short attention span and just broad interests. And, um, I, uh, I wanted to always be, you know, reading literature and talking about politics and, you know, um, learning now learning about like managing people and like all the other sort of professional aspects of life in the 20th, 21st century. Um, I'm just, um, interested in, and that, pulls me away all the time from just that single-minded focus on say practicing or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so what would you say to the people that, that do say that like, Oh, well, if you're going to do this music thing, you should do it, you know, a hundred percent or all the way or don't do it at all. Yeah. I would say, um, give it a shot. <laughs> See how it goes. I certainly know folks who, who have done it. I mean, it, it's sort of idiom dependent and style dependent and all that stuff. I mean, in the jazz world, as as you know, it's um, the model for being a successful jazz musician uh, in 2017 is different than it was in like 1987, for example. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, m many of the jazz professors out there, you know, grew up in the world of 1987 and not the world of 2017. So, you know, I think it's it's healthy for students to be really assessing, you know, what are the what are the recent graduates of a given school doing? Um, and, uh, you know, I know in your work with, you know, um, everything from, uh, performing to producing, to writing, to teaching, um, there's a whole constellation of things, um, that make up, you know, a successful life in jazz music today. Um, the other person that comes to mind, Ryan Keberly is doing it really well. Um, uh, I know there's plenty of other guys out there, but, um, yeah, the, the model is changing. And, and so I would just say, Make sure if, if you're if you're single mindedly focused on being just a performer, um, pay attention to what the young, you know, recent graduates who have succeeded at that, 
what they're doing. Um, I, I guess I can think of a couple folks um, who are touring with, you know, international pop acts. Um, and, you know, I guess I would advise someone that wanted to do, the, to do that. Um, check out the schools they went to. Check out who they studied with. You know, if you can, you know, get on the phone with them or shoot an, shoot an, an email and figure out how did they get the gig with, you know, Megan Trainer or whoever. Um, because it's, it's certainly chops, but, um, there's, there's all kinds of other factors that play in there too, where you are, who you're studying with, who, you know, um, what you're, you know, what you're willing to do on stage. I mean, all kinds of stuff. I think a lot of, a lot of us grew up in a world where we, we imagined that, um, just playing really well, um, you know, like a modern version of our hero. So if I could just be a modern JJ Johnson, I'll just make it, you know, but the truth is, um, there's all kinds of other factors there. And, you know, even in the circles that I run in in New York, I've had to learn things like how to look like you're having fun on stage and dance around a little bit and um, kind of, you know, how to dress and how to sell yourself. It's, you know, performance is a is a thing unto itself beyond the technique of learning an instrument. So, yeah, well, I, I mean, I totally agree with you. I feel like there's a huge, you know, misunderstanding or misrepresentation to students in the jazz education world about, you know, what it really means. I mean, people say like, oh, it's more than just playing and they try to explain it, but I feel like not a lot of us coming up like figured it out until after. And because of what you said is that all most of the professors are, you know, they came up in a much different time. And so it's kind of like they don't have any real way to, describe it to us you know how to how to do do it now because they aren't here doing it right um so kind of just for your specific experience i'm wondering if there was anything that if you could go back and do again would you change anything um gosh i um i think i would revisit my Queens college days and try to use them better. Um, when I was at Lawrence, that was a residential liberal arts college music conservatory and everyone lived on campus and it was like the dream, like the college dream that everyone wants to have great, great professor, great colleagues learning quickly, getting better quickly. Um, grad school for me was more of a mixed bag. It was, you know, some classes that were helpful, but probably half the classes I took, I, didn't find super helpful. And rather than, you know, trying to tailor my experience to, um, you know, get the most out of it, I think I, I sort of took a little bit of an attitude of like, well, I'm just going to get this degree so that I've got it and then get out of here. Um, and in hindsight, um, I didn't spend enough time, uh, networking with the folks who were my colleagues at Queens college. It's funny. I've recently run into a, a few of them, um, you know, three, four years later and played a gig with them and been like, man, why didn't we play in college? Why didn't we play at Queens College? And, you know, we just, uh, I think it was partly the commute and partly my attitude. I just wasn't um, investing the same way I had in undergrad. So I would definitely revisit that. Mm -hmm. And so do you think it was worth it getting a degree in jazz? Hmm, That's a loaded question, I know. That's a loaded question. Um, Well, I think it, begs the question, what is worth <laughs> and what is value? So, um, in terms of, you know, the simplest way is just to count the money and say, well, my jazz education cost me, let's make up a number and say, 
$60,000 and have I made that much money performing, um, you know, adjusted for inflation <laughs> and, you know, probably, yeah, but, um, that seems like a pretty, uh, pretty transactional and simplistic way of looking at it. Um, I think, uh, you know, our friends and colleagues who have studied philosophy and literature and all those other things, which also pay nothing, um, would probably be great to talk to about this too. I often think about poets with this question because as, as difficult as it is to be a gigging musician, um, I think the hardest art form to like really make a living in is poetry. Cause it's just, it's really, everything's a passion project and, um, you know, people are self publishing their books and, um, you know, doing readings for half a dozen people. And mm -hmm. that, that may be what it looks like for the first 20 years of your career. Whereas at least we can play a wedding gig and make a few hundred bucks, you know? Sure. Um, and so, you know, I would actually love to pose that question to a poet and say, was your English degree or was your poetry degree worth it? Because I'd, I'm sure they would have interesting things to say. Um, uh, in terms of like quality of life and um, sort of the, all the fuzzy stuff that doesn't have to do with money, mm -hmm. um, my certainly my undergraduate degree in music was hugely valuable. Um, I would a hundred percent say, even if I had, even if I had graduated from, um, from Lawrence and never played a gig in my life, I would, I would say it was worth it. Um, because of the people I met, because of the way I learned to study and how I learned how to learn. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, it was just, it was just a really awesome experience. Um, I think I would not advise, certainly not advise people to get uh, graduate degrees in music if they don't think they're gonna, um, use them. Um, but, uh, yeah. So I think I just have, uh, one or two more questions for you. Um, what are, what, or what is some things that you're doing now that you never would have suspected that you would have to be doing while you were, you know, mm -hmm. a burgeoning young jazz trombonist in, at Lawrence? Right. Um, spreadsheets, um, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, spreadsheets for everything, um, planning personnel, getting a list of, um, you know, who's, who's my first call drummer, my second call drummer, my 24th call drummer in a, a, every given city that I want to play in. You know, if I want to go and play a couple of, you know, one-off gigs back in Europe, I've got to reconnect with those folks and you know, do international phone calls and figure out how to make that work and not cost uh, an arm and a leg. Um, uh, management has been on my mind lately just because my work at the music school right now involves um, sort of administration and um, managing teachers. And um, I've sort of realized that that's, um, there's people that spend their whole lives studying how to work with people in such a way that you can um, achieve a mission or, uh, you know, um, do, do good work basically. Um, and it involves everything from, um, how you shake hands to how you, um, give critical feedback to, um, how you dress. And, um, yeah, so, so all that stuff is kind of come into the mix. Um, and, and it's it's all good. I guess I don't mind it. Um, I'm uh, I'm at at peace with a world that requires a lot of different things of me because I think it's sort of how I was geared in the first place. Um, that's uh, yeah. Yeah, no, that's awesome. 
Well, man, James, thank you so much for taking the time this afternoon. Yeah, my pleasure. And that's James Hall offering us his story from Omaha, Nebraska, to Appleton, Wisconsin, to Vienna, Austria, to New York City. I think this just goes to show you that there's way more than one way to make a life in music, to make a career in music, to study music. You don't have to go to a conservatory in New York in order to be a jazz musician in New York. So I hope this has stimulated a few thoughts of your own. And if you're considering going to study music, I hope you'll consider all of these stories and the ones to come before you make your final decision. And uh, do feel free to be in touch if you have some opinions to share. Info at outsideinmusic.com. This has been the Over Here Podcast. Stay tuned for future episodes of this series, and I'll talk to you real soon.